And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Thank you for sucking the download button, fat one, and welcome to another episode of When Did That Come Out? An ongoing two-man journey covering an entire year of film and 12 movies that came out for every month of that year. I'm your host, Charlie Stabile, joined as always by my good friend, William Rankin. Will, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Hope you haven't died of a stabbing. <laughs> Just you, Ace. <laughs> oh. It's August of 1986, and we are looking at Rob Reiner's film, Stand By Me. Well, I always try to lead these things off with questions that I, I'm genuinely interested in, because I've heard a lot of mixed things about this topic. What are your thoughts on Stephen King adaptations? Um, I, the thing is, like, uh, I haven't read, like, I, that's a hard question to answer without having read a lot of mm -hmm. Stephen King material. There are a lot of movies that are based on Stephen King works that I like, I think are, are mm -hmm. good movies, but then I could find, you know, some... I could find some angry, angry person that's like, you know, it's not like the book or the story, right? You know, it's not like that because you know, like in in the in the you know in the story in the story, all the kids are dead except for Gordy by the end of it. You look, yeah, and there's just they're angry. So I I, I I can't. I wish I could answer that question better, uh, but well, well, that that brings up an interesting point for, for what'll be my next question. But well, what do you think of? What are your thoughts on movies that are based on Stephen King books? Because there is no shortage of of adaptations of his movie of his uh, of his books. And and like you, I haven't read I haven't read any Stephen King books, uh, but I have seen a lot of the movies that are based on his on his work. Like like well, what are your thoughts on those? Like are any any of those rake up as your favorites? So, or so I know there's a lot of bad ones. Yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna say is when they're done well, they're great movies. When they're not, they are. They can be terrible, mm -hmm. and that goes to show you, like you know, at, at, when they're done right, and people really get into what Stephen, at least, was at the core of Stephen King's story or book. It, it really can make for a great film because the guy was obviously cinematically driven in what he was doing. The the ones I really like, uh, with the exception of this one, which will be a major talking point today, um, I have all. Besides uh, Shawshank, Green Mile, but, those two mm -hmm. always are, are, are ones I immediately go to. Christine is fantastic. Yes, that's a good movie. Uh, mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be, but it is. There are a lot of them <laughs> that are like a rat, like that kind of hover, like in the. I, I there are a lot of them that I remember seeing once or. I'll tell you one though. Here's one that is not kind of in that mediocre zone. Like I remember being really excited for 1408. Okay, and, and it didn't deliver, and 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 then no, like, it didn't. And then like they had, there were there were multiple endings that you could that that I, I read about afterwards. And I was like, those, not, none of those work. Like this is that's hide and seek level crap that you're delivering here. So, um, I got you. So yeah, I like I remember the fog was another one that was like, eh. And now, but, but at the same time, they've redone it. and I've heard it's amazing for television now. Oh, you mean the mist or the mist? I'm sorry. Mist. I get see they get them. I get, I do yep, too. I get him. <laughs> well, I love, I love the Carpenter flick, The Fog, because 
but uh, I don't I don't think that's Stephen King. But the no, but the mist, but the, mist the the movie The Mist. I, I I actually think that that was the last good one in terms of oh this is based on a Stephen King book. Well, that's the last good one. That was ten years ago, and um, they I mean they've done a lot since like fourteen oh eight Cell stuff like that. But that was the last one that really had an impact on me, and, and yeah, and apparently, yep, they're making a TV show out of it. The big, um, the big test will be when the Dark Tower comes out because that's yep. going to be the first one, at least in very recent memory. And I'm, I'm gonna just going to go out on a limb and say, uh, of all of his movies, that's like this is a potential blockbuster. That doesn't, you don't, that, that's not something usually attached to a King work. You know what I mean? Oh sure. Like maybe Running Man, if you want to stretch it, maybe for Schwarzenegger right. in his day like maybe that but you know for the most part his movies are you know that they you, you can talk about one that just once about a brutal flop with Secret Window or was it Secret Window oh god is that it I was that the you title you stole my story <laughs> okay <laughs> you stole my time please give it back just give it back <laughs> yeah, just give it back. <laughs> let me guess what the ending is It'd be oh, such god. a good part of you can just keep it, man. I'll go back and do pirates movies. You can keep it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the most successful thing that they've adapted lately is um, that Stephen King stories have started to gravitate towards television, and they adapted Under the Dome, which was fairly successful for a period of time. Then everyone realized it was just lost within a bubble, and that thing kind of crashed and burned. I think even Stephen King, I think he even wrote some of the episodes for that. So. It's it's interesting to see him try to get in on his own work. Like, do you remember the the TV miniseries that they did about I want to say it was fifteen twenty years ago of The Shining, where yeah. it was more like the book. Yeah, did you ever see that thing? So all right, so The Shining is a see. I knew there was a a, a big one. Like, and of, of course, like that movie is iconic. It's, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. No, and, and, and <laughs> it and, really doesn't. And that's a, and that's definitely a case where like whether you know Stephen King liked it or not, like. Stanley Kubrick made a a quintessential horror movie. That, yeah, probably the best one. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd go as far as to say that. I, I remember there was a there, there was a great review on it, and I think they nailed it. it. Said it was the first epic horror movie, and you know, epic in scope, the way it's shot, the length of the movie, the storytelling. Um, I absolutely agree with that. Um, now, the, now the one that Stephen King oversaw, which is back in the late nineties, uh, I remember marathoning that on YouTube. <laughs> You know, in little ten-minute segments, the one with Steven Weber. Yeah. That movie is ter- that movie's terrible. Right, it's it's just all around bad. And um, apparently, that's that's the one that's more like the book, like a lot more like it. And that this is where the argument, like when we don't have to necessarily dig into it, but we've both seen it. We've been a part of this argument with other people. The argument of translation sure. versus adaptation. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, like, they're two different mediums. Like, it's and and the thing is, is you know, I, as I'm sure you'll get into a stand by me, like it's not like that's 100% translated either. But you can still take the essence, like, and I and I don't, and you know, without reading The Shining, like I, I don't know, but it seems like they still captured an incredible horror essence from that. Whether it's exactly what sure. King was intending, you know, whatever, man. I mean, it the movie connected with audiences, and that's ultimately what a movie's supposed to do. It is designed to go make money. Right. It is a business, so. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't want to get into it much either. We could do a whole episode on it, but books versus movies is very complicated. I've seen I've seen movies that were almost direct adaptations of books that I loved, and I was very underwhelmed because simply they didn't do anything different with the movie. Right. And and this is a problem that you're that you come across when people see the movies because there are some people that want it to be just like the book, and there's some people that don't. 
I happen to be one that doesn't really want it to be like the book, and because uh, I feel like I've already seen it. And and the problem when you see that up on screen is that whatever you saw in your mind is going to be more is going to be better than whatever they put up on screen. Of course, and that's just a sad fact of life. Yeah, that's why I always recommend that you see the movie first and then read the book. I've always recommended that to uh, to people because then you're pretty much guaranteed to like both because you wouldn't read the book if you didn't like the movie. So did you read <clears throat> the body? Have you read that? I have never read the body. Mm-hmm. So the body is uh, a short story that was released in, uh, I believe it was the early 80s or late 70s. It was a part of the Different Seasons collection. This is quite a collection of stories that were in this thing. So it's it's The Body, Stand By Me, uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, and then Apt Pupil. And that's always one that I forget that he did. Uh, and I've never even seen that movie uh, with uh, Ian McKellen and Brad Renfro from the late 90s. So like this is an interesting collection. And I like that it's considered a short story, because when I read the page length, I was like, God, that was the size of books that I read in junior high. It's like 140 pages. Yeah. St- uh, the body. So, and it's, uh, I'm sure it's great. Uh, one thing I love is that Stephen King has gone on record as saying that uh, Stand By Me is the most faithful and best adaptation of any of his work, uh, which I think is tr- tremendous. And Rob Reiner, uh, let, let's talk about Rob Reiner for a bit, because we've, we've discussed him s- several times just by ourselves uh, as a director. This this guy, he had one of the best runs of any film director, I think, in history. And that run, for me, in terms of nonstop good movies, goes from 1984 to 1992. And I'd love to throw that 1995 in there because that was the American president. But then you got to include North. <laughs> yeah, and North, sadly, North will always be overshadowed now by, a, right. by the dark dark tragedy of phil hartman and his wife being in the movie and i know that's You're right that, uh, i didn't mean to go there but uh, that's but, you know that's yeah. no that's the that's the but, but you're, you're right i think you're 100 percent right that is arguably i i don't i cannot think of anyone else that has a run where like every one of them for a period of almost 10 years is a hit and it's not like he did two movies the guy did like we're to, look count them up one two three four five six that's seven movies in ten years wow that's a good run and they're all that's a really good. good run every single yeah one, and they're man. all different too they're all different yeah it's like he just all of a sudden decided to become a film director he came out of nowhere and just knocked it out of the park with Spinal Tap and and uh, going all the way up through a few good men and just constantly making good movies and not to say he hasn't made good movies since 1995. Um, I'm a pre- I'm a pretty big fan of the story of us. I actually really like that movie. But Ghost of Mississippi's not bad too. It's Ghost that's of a that's a yep. that's a solid movie. It's not like any. I mean, I, you know, it's remembered probably for the most for for James. Or, or, uh, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting my I'm forgetting my John guy, Boyd. And he's uh no no no. I'm thinking of um <laughs> the hard way, and I'm thinking of. Uh, oh, oh, James oh, Woods. Um, Thank you. James That's Woods. what I'm thinking. Of. I love that you go with yeah. the hard way. <laughs> that was, oh God. <laughs> That's the first I one. I... Ta- I was talking to my buddy Michael, and he was talking about like Tom Cruise's one of his Mike motorcycle stunts, and he's like, "It's just like from the hard way." And I'm like, "I love that the hard ways <laughs> become kind of a reference point for <laughs> for a really good action movie that nobody knows." Yeah. <laughs> but you're right, man. Like he, it's like he kind of takes some time off. Then like Story of Us, then Alex and Emma's 03, Rumor Has It 05, Bucket List 07, which one thing I heard him on um I heard him on a podcast recently where he said one of the most like incredible things is that nobody talked about Bucket List before that movie came out. Like that's a that that 
in the its term? own way is is yeah like it's it's yeah, a culturally that's the movie's it, legacy. It, and that's it. yeah so but then like there are these there are a lot of these movies man like i ne- i've not i have yet to see like flipped i saw uh, that. the magic of bell magic of bell isle mm-hmm. okay i didn't see that um, one. flipped flipped is okay it's uh it's it's very much in the vein of stand by me but just it's very middle of the road i don't even know that other one you mentioned uh, yeah, because I've, this is kind of what he does now. He kind of releases movies in a very low key kind of way, like on demand and stuff. And and do this movie like this. This seems this is such a Diane Keaton movie, and so it goes with Michael Douglas. You know it. They're eventually gonna get together. You know Something's this movie. Give. Oh no! But then like, <laughs> but then like, I I haven't seen Being Charlie, but I heard like it is a very personal film for him. One about like you know dealing with his his son and everything so that's but then like the one like i'm dying to like even more so dying to see is this lbj movie coming out or come right or did come out i never even i never even saw this thing but uh that's when i'm just like woody harrelson is lbj like I, i'm there yeah yeah it'll, it'll be interesting uh, when he when he pulls that off because i believe they just did one with uh cranston on hbo that they, they, they took the broadway show and adapted it so, yeah, because I remember hearing about this going, God, already? <laughs> it, just, it seems a little close. But LBJ, he's one of those presidents that not a lot of people seem to talk about unless it's in relation to, to Kennedy. So, right. so yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. And, and Rob Reiner, I don't really want to talk about the way he's been outside of the movie business. He's kind of a pain in the, a pain in the butt in one way or the other. But uh, in terms of filmmaking, this guy was at the top of his game around this around this time period and he cranked out stand by me and uh i mean good lord i mean uh, just to to tell my personal story uh this is the first movie i ever remember seeing um when i was about five years old and i have probably seen this movie uh man it might be more maybe more than any other movie it maybe uh it's just constantly and, and and what it means to me, at least, it it changes over time, and I think that's one of the one of the purposes of the movie. You know, it's it, you know originally when I saw it, I was like, oh, this will be life when I get older, and now it's life that I see when I look back on it. You know, like the way it kind of the way it was. At least that's the way that I've uh, been able to relate to it. And the the concept of this movie simply is death. I see, and I've always been kind of interested in this because. I find I did not know this for a long time, but you know, a lot of kids like. Do you remember the first time you ever became uh, sentient on the on the idea of death? Like what uh, what it actually meant that one day that you were going to die? Um. Well, I mean, you're without getting into all the nitty gritty. I mean, like, uh, I mean, it's it, it. I know from age eleven on, I was very very cognizant of it. Uh, but yeah. before then, you know, I, um, I'm trying to think because, like, growing up with movies and television, like you, you saw it, you know, you all saw it, and 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 all types of different things. And I'll tell you, like, like I, this is so weird, but like, one of the like, I, I kind of have to relate it to celebrities. Like when John Candy died, like that was like, oh yep. man, like that was like one of the first times I was like, they, it it was a pause moment, you know, and then it started to, I can't remember. And I, I, I just remember, I do remember that so distinctly when I heard John Candy died because by that there hadn't been like somebody like I'd grown up watching 
you know, and then when I thought about them passing, I was like, that's, that's what's down the road for you. You know, if you, Oh yeah. You know, no, that's, so. that, that's a great point. John Candy was the first celebrity I ever remember dying. And from there on out, I mean, it was just constant, <laughs> you know, like you, you, the, I had the same experience you did. Like, this is a guy I watched growing up. And, and, and when, when he died, it was like, yeah, it was absolutely the first time that I ever came became aware of that. But I've, I've, I've learned over, over the years that children learn about death at different times. And yeah. that's never really something I thought about. And I think that's because of Stand By Me. I, because, I mean, some of my earliest memories in life are watching this movie and always being aware of the death of uh, Ray Brower and, and just and what that means to the boys. So it just doesn't it's it's a weird thing with me with with death, because for me, it's always been constant. But um, and that's I mean, that's a big quote in the movie. One of my favorite quotes in all of movies in the midst of life, we are in death. And I, I, I love I love that because that's that's what the boys are having to deal with the entire time throughout the movie. And it's eventually what Gordy has to deal with as an adult. And uh, let's so let's get into the cast uh, for a second. Boy, these were some of the biggest uh, child actors of their time. <laughs> and it's interesting to see where they've uh, gone since then. Um, between uh, Will Wheaton, Jerry O'Connell, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman. And my mom didn't believe me when I told her that J Jerry O'Connell, in a way, kind of became the most successful one. <laughs> I thought about this, too, because like he's the one who Ash, who had like success beyond standby, beyond the 80s. You know, like, beyond the like, 80s. You know, because like, really, yeah, like, there's Feldman, a difference. Yeah. Feldman and Wheatman and Wheaton, you know, like even though like Will Wheaton's written books, he's got he's definitely carved out his own niche now. But Jerry O'Connell had that Crossing Jordan. He had um, Sliders. He had sliders. multiple TV, multiple TV shows that went for you know a, a fairly long period of time. When I say fairly, like probably like what four or five years. I can't remember right. Sliders if it went that long, but I know that Crossing Jordan. I never watched a show, but when I heard he was on there, I was like, wow, right on. And now he's married to Rebecca Romaine, so I mean, like, awesome. I think he won. Yeah. Oh, he won. I think he, I think he won. I, I, I remember like the burgeoning film career, the revi like the resurgence of his, like vaguely. Like, of course, Jerry Maguire. I'll never forget him. But well, of course. I remember. Not. Yeah, but I also remember like when he tried to be like his like a, try to carry a movie like Tomcats. Tomcats. Wow. Oh God. Wow. No, 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 no. Jerry. But no, you know. No. But I think. But <laughs> uh, but you're. Um, I, I think you're right in terms of the most successful. I think you yeah. kind of have to give the edge to him, even though it's, Wheaton had like Star Trek at the same Star time. Star Trek, but still. Yeah, it's not like I, you bring up a good point. There's a difference between being successful and being successful beyond the '80s. I, Corey Feldman. I mean, not to sell the guy short, but this Corey Feldman had a string of good movies uh, in the '80s, and this was just one of them. And then, unfortunately, once the '80s ended, which I would say is the Burbs, uh, that was that was pretty much it. I mean, he pops up in one of those Lost Boys sequels every now and then, but uh, now he's kind of a weird pop star. It's it's just strange. Will Wheaton seems to be living off of nostalgia. Um, they just uh, rebooted Mystery Science Theater 3000, and he's in the first five minutes. And I was just like, oh, God, Will, what are you doing? And and he constantly makes appearances on Big Bang Theory, so at least he still gets well, work. Well, it's his show. He's, like, that's, that is, like, he's, he's a big part of that show. I didn't Does he actually that. run that thing? I didn't. I don't know. know if I, I, he's a big part of because like um, I listened to him on Jericho's podcast, mm -hmm. and 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 I forget his exact role, 
I can probably look it up now as we're talking, but um, I know his role is pretty pretty significant. That's why he keeps like you know popping up on there. It's like he's behind the camera, but every once in a while they put him on in front of it and everything. And and you know like he, he's you know like during the what late two thousands when nerd culture like surged and now is like is not gone away. It's it's forever around us. Like Nerdist.com is a thing. The Nerdist podcast with sure. Chris Hardwick, all that. Like that's given life to like a lot of these guys who were kind of, you know, that, that when being a nerd was a taboo thing and you played D&D and that wasn't a big thing. Well, now like, you know, it's it's kind of the norm. It's accepted. So that's why guys like Will Wheaton are like, they're, they're, they've come back. They have their own little, I'm not saying we, I mean, I'm not saying like he's, you know, on a on a level of let's say uh, I don't know Vin Diesel, but Jesus, I mean, like he's got his own, he's got his niche. You know, like he's he's still out there. Well, yeah, and I, I think I mean I think the reason for that also because yeah, like you said, the late two thousands was when nerdist culture seemed to take over, and uh, I always attributed that to the fact that we grew up, that uh, that that was just everything that we loved when we were kids, and eventually our generation are the ones that kind of became the main movie going and, and uh, television watching public. So, and yeah, I mean, it does, it's not that much of a surprise to me that he would have a resurgence of some kind. And it's great that he did because for the longest time I didn't hear from him, Will Wheaton. And so that leads us to River Phoenix. Uh, River Phoenix, of course, I mean, what year did he die? It was 1990, was it 90, 92, 93? I think it's more like 93. Uh, because yeah. he did do my 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 own private Idaho that movie I forget the exact title but that that's it yeah I think I think that came out before he died which would be I think that was a ninety one movie so yeah he's he died in ninety three so he was twenty three that's it yeah he was nine in ninety three he was twenty three years old my God I I read this great thing about him the other day that was uh, if he were still alive today he'd be bigger than Leonardo DiCaprio. And I couldn't get that out of my head because I thought, but Leonardo DiCaprio, these are the kind of parts he would have gotten <laughs> had he been at, at that age. And But r- the difference is, though, River Phoenix, I mean, his talent was pretty much on display right from the beginning. And, hell, whenever I think of Indiana Jones, I mean, he, I definitely think of him along with Harrison Ford. He absolutely nails that in, in his little 15-minute uh, Act 1 segment yeah. in, La- in Last Crusade. Oh, it's amazing. Like it's It really is, isn't it's, it? Oh. Cause yeah, you that it's it's. I almost wish that was this. He got the whole movie because he's that good. Like well, that's, he would have. I'm sure they would have done something with him. Like that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is is for River Phoenix to have his own young Indiana Jones movie or something or do that? Not the TV show, but like a, a version of that because he the he does a phenomenal Harrison Ford impression, but he does it in a way that makes it very River Phoenixy. And, uh, of course, River Phoenix was recommended to Lucas by Harrison Ford for that. So I definitely think, had he still had he still been alive, he would have been the biggest star, you know, far and away. And I think that that's kind of, the movie is, in a way, a showcase of him. And I, I really like Stephen King, the way he looked at the movie, which was, you know, in, in the original story, Gordy's the main character. It's told from his perspective. But the way King saw it in the movie was that Chris Chambers was actually the main character. And, the, and I can't argue with that because the whole movie is because of him. The whole reason that we're looking back on the story of the four boys looking for the dead body is because Chris Chambers has just died. And it's forcing Gordy to look back on it. So, And if it wasn't for that rising action, which happens within the first minute of the movie, I love that the movie doesn't waste any time on that. 
if it wasn't for that, then we wouldn't even have this movie. So yes, I, I agree. I do think Chris Chambers is the main character, the the glue of the group. He's it's it's interesting the way the movie goes. I find in that Teddy and Vern are kind of considered the more not not as uh, not as fortunate in their later lives as uh, the other two were, and that and and you, you I had friends like this growing up where you these are only friends that you would have when, when you were this age. Yeah, these weren't friends that were going to last forever. But Gordy and Chris, it seems like that they would. And Gordy had all the promise. And, and I'd like that Chris was kind of pigeonholed into the same camp as uh, Teddy and Vern. But he had the potential to do something more. But because of the way that he was viewed at by everyone that lived in that town, and especially because of the reputation of his older brother, he could not escape it, at least while he was living there. And... I, I really like that. I, I really like that there are people that, that, that have a potential that they can do something, and, but I don't want to say society, but they're, they're being held down by outside forces. And it's a reputation that they have that they have to try to overcome. At least it's something I can relate to. Um, in terms of coming-of-age movies, I mean, I can't think of one that I like more. Uh, and, and, I mean, and coming-of-age can be applied, I think, to several different kinds of movies. Um, but there's something about the way Stand By Me did it, and I believe the formula was even repeated. Do you remember now and then? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was the same thing. Like, you got... I, I'm trying to remember the 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 host of um, of Girls in that, because, like, of course, I remember Christina Ricci. Oh, it's was Christina Ricci. I, I, it was Rosie, who would grow up to be Rosie O'Donnell, which is awesome. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, because that's not even <laughs> remotely close. But, like, <laughs> you got... Uh, I remember you got Gabby Hoffman. Uh, Maisie from Uncle Buck. Right. Yeah, that, that her and the other two. Uh, oh, Thora Burke. Thora Burke was one of the other ones. I think she becomes Melanie Griffith. <laughs> right on. But mm. uh, yeah, yeah, you know. But uh, that movie is very, is very similar uh, in that it's instead of being about four boys, it's just about four girls and the things girls go through and stuff. And and I loved that movie when it came out because of how much it reminded me of Stand by Me. And uh, I don't have to tell you which one that I, I continue to watch over the years, and the one that I've kind of forgotten about, <laughs> uh, for for the most part. Um, go ahead. No, I and I I think it's just simply like one has Rob Reiner, the other one doesn't. Yeah, that's true too. I don't even remember who made that movie. I have no idea, and I don't think Will Wheaton has anything to do with Big Bang Theory other than acting. So I apologize. So go ahead, continue. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a fountain of information <laughs> or misinformation i or guess misinformation. i don't know <laughs> yeah. oh boy um and one thing that really strikes me about this movie is how important uh friendship can be and like i said friends that you'd have when you're younger as opposed to when you're older like i, I, I was thinking about this while i was watching it like because i met you when i was 20 and you know and we headed off almost immediately but i can't imagine what what, what it would have been like had i met you if i was 12 I started thinking about that because I'm there's friends that I lost along the way that I'm not 100% sure if if I wouldn't have if I reconnected with them if I wouldn't all the, like all the old feelings come back and all and the same kind of banter you know it's it's right. it's that weird thing where yeah there's friends that you lose and you're supposed to but there's also friends that you lose that come back yeah and oh yeah I think you're right yeah 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 so it's it's just something I, I just got to thinking about and then, like I said it's just one of those things that's that's in this movie that that makes you 
that uh, makes you keep coming back to watch it is just the way that, that things are treated. Like, so I, my mom watched the first 50 minutes with me and, and she, she kind of had an interesting perspective in that uh, she brought up a, a kid that she knew from when she was a child and their sibling had died. Or there were that kid's sibling that she went to school with and nobody knew how to talk to that family. Like, nobody. And because those scenes have always kind of stuck with me and bothered me in that, you know, Gordy, Gordy's already dealing with death long before the, uh, the Ray Brower story shows up because of his older brother, played by John Cusack, uh, died. And he was clearly the favorite son. And it's just bad because he, the, the parents gravitated towards him more, loved him. Not, I don't know if they loved him more, but they, 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 they were more interested in the things that he was doing as opposed to Gordy, who was just, he just wrote, just wrote in his spare time. And I thought that was, I thought that was interesting because what do the, the effect that parents can have on a kid and the way that they can make a kid look at themselves, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And think about how fresh it is too, because what I think he's dead in April of that year. Yeah, it's like what, it, it's a it's a few months. Yeah, so like it's still like ridiculously f- like fresh for all of them in that family. So yeah, it's yeah it it's a uh, it is interesting. Like because the parents then like. I think we stopped seeing them around like minute 45 like in a, and that's from a flashback too like it's not it's one of those things where it it's not one it's in a tip in a movie made maybe later on or maybe at the same time under a different director with maybe a different story that wasn't Stephen King's there'd be some weird thing where the parents come back at the end and they realize how much they love their their son and you're you know, right you know what I mean like and and this movie mm-hmm. just deals with it. it's like yeah they don't they uh, they never they probably never do <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and and I think that's fine because I that's that's in the realm of believability hell Gordy even has a dream in the movie that uh, his father says that it it should have been you as the as the one that died and it's ah, it's so sad because uh, <laughs> I mean this is a small town these are the only friends he has and he doesn't have a brother anymore so he's very vulnerable and I I, I love. It's probably my my favorite of the movies that deal with kids at this age, like because you forget you forget what it's like to be that age, mm. and these are very well rounded characters for such a short movie. This movie's only eighty eight minutes long, and they get all their character stuff in. You know, they're four very distinct personalities, and they seem like fully developed people. And I think a large part of that not just goes to the writing, but this this damn cast is so good I, and because I usually cannot stand child actors for right. the most part but these kids are amazing uh, the what they're what, the, what they're able to do with their dialogue I think this was Jerry O'Connell's first movie yeah and I think he was just excited that he got to say the F word yeah I remember reading yeah. so yeah it's it's very impressive what they're able to do because the, this is a very like emotional and well well thought out story that is for adults like this was this movie was rated R <laughs> to have a kid, a movie with a bunch of kids, and not be for kids, I was a, it was a, it was a little taboo back then, I guess. I mean, even Goonies was rated PG, and that had a, a loads of swearing in it. But um, yeah, this is one of the few Stephen King adaptations or stories. I, I'm not sure how the book was, but that wasn't that doesn't take place in Maine. Like, I remember trying to figure this out. I was like, "There's no way that's Maine." Turns out it's Oregon. How many movies can you think of take place in Oregon? 
Hey, I, I, not off the top of my head, I was going to say any of those Steve Prefontaine movies, but, you know, <laughs> that's it. Well, the reason I bring this up is because I've always loved the cinematography in the movie. The movie has a beautiful look to it. Um, it's, it's quite dominated by the, the 50s soundtrack that it has. But I've always been a really big fan of the score. Uh, I've always, the score is very, it has a very dreamlike quality to it. Like, it's, like it, it almost evokes a thought of reminiscence. I find and just it's very very weary, you know, with the way with the way that the uh, the music lines up with the images of the boys walking down the track and it's a long shot, you know, or them walking across the field and it's just their silhouettes. It's probably my favorite shot of the movie with the uh, with the the gnats flying around them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but um, I mean the plots. That's what's so interesting about the movie to me is it's such a simple idea, it's such a simple plot. The boys find out there's a dead body, no one's claimed it. They're gonna go and claim it and be famous but there's a rival gang run by Kiefer Sutherland <laughs> ace and uh, and his buddy Eyeball Chambers who's Chris's brother and they're the gang that's going to try to get to it first and it's really just as simple as that and Gordy I love it at the very end when he's finally able to stand up for himself and be confident which is something that he doesn't have throughout the entire movie like, all these kids are broken in some way uh, Chris's monologue in the forest about what was it about about the milk money that yeah. mm-hmm. that is some fine acting i i could drink a glass of wine over that it's so good <laughs> <laughs> i really feel like that's how it's done <laughs> you know? and and apparently rob reiner i read this years ago rob reiner just told him just think of the worst thing that's ever happened to you and just use that and they said even after they even after he yelled cut river phoenix was crying like a baby like for the next like 20 minutes <laughs> just really sad and even the scenes in the movie that don't really play a part in anything like the uh the whole lard ass sequence which is a fantastic just side movie going on that uh, where gordy tells a story that he's created to his friends that has no purpose in the movie whatsoever other than that he's that he can tell a story but it works it works and it, it doesn't feel like padding you know, like the way the kids pass time, I think is wonderful where they just narrowly escape death from that train. And then they're immediately just talking about things that kids talk about. And it's just it's, and that's the way that I remember being a kid. It was just one thing after the other like that. Well, I, the, uh, one way you can look at the journey is that uh, in, in a way, these are this is an episodic adventure. Of, mm-hmm. It's a picaresque journey. Like it, it's probably one of the better told picaresque stories, where it's these little mini episodes that add up into one bigger story. But and the way sometimes memories work is that these instances, like these individual instances of, remember that time we outran the train? Remember that time we fell in the creek and all the leeches right. got on? It may not all be a part of the same story. They could all be interlocking uh, memories from different periods that are sewn together. You know, in your mind, because a lot of times when we go back and we think about instances, especially with people, we don't always really have the, the time period necessarily right. But we sew together like, like almost like the greatest hits of our time together from beginning to end or whatever it is. That's what's fascinating, because even like when I look at just it, when I look at each of these these journeys, like they're all they're all in a way independent of each other. Because in, in some ways you can play, like, look at their shirts. Do any of them still have that? Man, they get that chocolate off pretty good, don't they? 
because it ain't on there the rest <laughs> right. of the movie. But that's fine because I think of it like that may have happened actually a long time. That could have happened months ago, years ago, before they actually went and did this next part where they went into the creek with all the leeches. And that's fine because, like, I think that's great. That's how flashbacks work in our mind. Like, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. Right. Like, it, memories don't flow perfectly. We don't have, sometimes we don't have all the details. So it's neat to sew them together into one story because, in the end, this journey they're going through is literally like the, a microcosm of their friendship. Because what do they find at the end? What is it they find at the end? It's literally a dead child, it is the end yeah. of them being children. And it's literally the end of their friendship, so to speak. That's it. What, or at least it'll never be the same. Right. Yeah. Like, like this is the beginning of growing up. Like that. That's that's a that's a really good way to look at it. I like that. I like that. It's just a collection of memories because every almost every scene where they're where they're walking along is something that you not necessarily memorable, but it's something that if it happened to you, you would remember. Like there is no reason whatsoever for that scene where they're in the junkyard being chased by Chopper. There's right. no reason for that scene, right. but you better believe that if that happened to you, it was it would be memorable, right? Like, and, I remember, and you would talk yeah, about it, and you would talk about that absolutely because they don't even say why they're stopping there, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and they're they're just goofing off and they get food and then they get chased by the dog and I mean you get a great character moment for Corey Feldman there he's he is so good in that scene but there's no reason really for it so I, I like I've never I never thought of it quite like that that. That just could be the way he remembers it. Yeah, and this is in, in another crazy way. Like this flashback is, in in a way, you can interpret it. This is Chris Chambers marching towards death, because he almost encounters the very way he is killed. I oh yeah, but along uh, the way, like that confession about the milk money. Like there are these moments where it's like he he is almost like literally growing up up until the point of the end where you know he confronts Kiefer Sutherland. So it's it's a fascinating. You could there's I'm sure some writings out there about how there there is there they may be two of the same kind of person in a way, him and Gordy because like of the way they match up with one another because they do and it's great it's great how mm -hmm. that they each have those moments where one has to be vulnerable and the other one has to be the rock for them so. It's it is fascinating when you look through this journey, like how it's it's a microcosm of Chris Chambers' life. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fair. It's it's really strong, and it's even weird some of the dialogue that they have with each other. I I I never liked the line where Chris looks at him. He says, "You're just a kid, Cordy." <laughs> it just it just seems so out of nowhere that he would say something like that. But then in saying something like, "I wish I wish the hell I was your dad." Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's an old soul. He is. That's 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 why. Like in this, it's it, and because we're we're seeing this all through the prism of of Gordy. Like this is all 100 percent through his prism that we're seeing all this, and that's why it's like you know it's it is almost by the end of that story. Like he is a grown up man, like in a lot of ways. Chris Chambers is, and that's why it's like it. It's almost like that that really was like you you just saw the greatest hits of his life all the way up until the ending like even his confrontation with Kiefer Sutherland would is exactly what's going to happen to him later down the road it's the same thing right do you think the movie takes on a different kind of meaning or uh, uh you know unintentionally for the fact that River Phoenix actually did die at a very young age yes I, it, was, it definitely it definitely affects me in a different way when he fades away 
And uh, it's the way I don't think enough, when people talk about this movie and how wonderful it is, I don't think enough credit is really given to the narration by Richard Dreyfus. He's great. Rich, this is a great so performance. Good. Yeah. It, just in narration, the, the way he tells the story and the little pauses that he takes, like he was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. Like just the way he says that just gets me every single time matched up with the image of, of Chris Chambers fading into the distance. Yeah, and it's just unbelievably sad that um, and and I'll, I'll be honest, man, it gets me every single time. Uh, just because I mean, I've I mean, I've lost friends along the way, but no one who was ever that close, you know. And and thank God, because I, I honestly don't know, you know, how that would affect me. But um, and to see how it affects him, and and the fact that I, I believe he writes later at the very end of the movie that he hadn't seen him in ten years. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, ten years. I mean, Jesus, that's as long as I've known you. Yeah, that's ten years is a lifetime. Right. So it's and that's just a sad thing that that Gordy has to deal with. But I I do, I do love at the very end that he makes time for his kid, and uh, and, and his and his friend, and drives him off to like the park or wherever they're going. But um, no, it's I think this is a very important movie. I remember. Rob Reiner saying that it was the most important movie that, that, that he thinks he made. He didn't say it's necessarily the best movie that he made, but it was the one that was most important to him. And, of course, Gordy being based on Stephen King, I you can see, see this all the time. I love that Stephen King, like, it's so weird. I wonder if it's in the book, but there's a point where Chris says, you know, you should keep writing. He's, he's just, and he says, you know, F writing. It's stupid. It's a stupid waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's in the book, you know, because it's it's a great line and it's a great moment of introspection. But anyway, so I mean, this movie did. Oh, go ahead. Think about this for a second. The lardass story is the kid's journey. It is like it's it is a kid is a kid who's like terribly picked on, horribly. But he's gonna get the last laugh kind of in the end. But and it's a great story. The kids love it after he tells it, right? And then right. what does immediately what does Corey Feldman do? What does Teddy say? He's like, "That's the ending. That's it." So fast forward to the end of the story, like you know, of the of the end of the movie. Like the kids ultimately are picked on by Keith Kiefer Sutherland and his gang. They get you know the one up on the end. Like they don't. It's not some great dramatic. Like you know, like oh, they end up getting the mud falling on or you know some goofy like that. Like he draws a gun on him. End of story, pal. Like that's the end of you. We that's walk it. away. But then, like when you see Dreyfus at the computer, he writes the last line, and then it takes him a moment before he writes. You know the la- Well, the last thing he writes first is, "I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. And then there's this pause, and we even get like Dreyfus looking in the camera, and he writes, "Jesus, does anyone?" You know. But if you look at that, it's the exact same way that the Lardass story ends because. Teddy looks at him and is like, is that the ending? And it's almost like he has that same moment where he's like, is that the ending? And it's almost it. that line, Jesus does anyone, is almost like is if Corey Feldman's Teddy is speaking through him now. Like, is that it? And that's that's something I thought was really cool, was that the movie has so many great parallels. That Lardass story is, again, this this journey just told through a completely different you know, a story almost like it's through different characters in a different setting with these qualities of humor of of uh, of being picked on, but ultimately coming out ahead in the end. 
And then just the way they, because the, it's a little thing. Like I don't know how much that's how much of that's on the page, but the way Reiner sets that up with like Richard, take a little extra time before you type the last line. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, uh, to, to piggyback off that, I did think it was strange that, and this is this was only something that I caught in the last viewing, was that Kiefer actually says we're gonna get you for this and and he, and uh he's he's says something about it's not not that you don't know when it's going to come but there there will be payback and the fact that chris chambers died the same way that Kiefer was about to get him now that made me wonder a little bit because they never say what happened to ace or eyeball or any of those guys right and yeah and it's it's just i, I don't know i don't know if that was intentional that that you know, Ace might have had something to do with it or, or anything like that. It's, I don't know, it's kind of left up, up their, for debate. Their presence in the movie is very weird because in a weird, in, in some ways, I thought, like, it's not even needed. Like, it's not. And the only reason really. I, like, like, oh, yeah, he plays chicken with the log truck. And I get and it gets him over as being, like, you know, kind of the, he's the anti-Chris How does Chambers. Gordy know? Right. How does like, Gordy know that they're playing <laughs> that they're playing baseball with with um, the mailboxes? Right. This is all stuff that obviously he is you know he's filling in his backstory with. But like at the same time, like they check out. Like there's a good thirty to forty minutes where it's just the boys. And I almost wonder like even at eighty eight minutes, like is the Kiefer stuff a lot of it just kind of like well we kind of have to build we have to get some heat on our antagonist a little bit here so we can have this ending, which is fine. But at the same time, sort of like, there's not a tremendous like, there's not a tremendous payoff for them, because like you said, he just says we're gonna get you, there's gonna be payback, but we never like, we don't get a payoff for that really, you know? We don't know. Yeah, we get to watch him go up the track and close the knife. Right. Like, like there's really no reason to even show that. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's there, and it it might just it might just be reading too much into the movie, but. You know, like the movie has a bit of an open-endedness to it. Um, I do think it's, it, 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 be honest, I mean, the movie is a tragedy. I, I, when he talks about Teddy and Vern, like, what is it? Vern had four kids and he's now the forklift operator, blah, blah, blah. Teddy spent some time in jail and now he, he does he does odd jobs around Castle Rock. And just, Jesus. <laughs> just, like, nothing becomes of these kids. And... I think that's I think that's what I, what I find more sad than anything else. Do you? you th- know, the, I'm sure. Th- not every, not everyone not everyone's a winner, you know that kind of thing. Did because Gore Gordy's brother is killed in a car wreck, right? Is it? A, do they? Yeah. Do you think he got egged into a race with with Ace, with and a, that's why Ace? why that's why they show that scene because like you know, they they. They don't go into too much detail about the circumstances of his brother's death, but we're, we do know that it was an automobile accident. And I don't know. I, that's why I was trying to like make because you have to ask the question like, why is a scene in a movie? Like, it, it there has to be a reason why. And maybe and and then I have to sometimes resolve myself with maybe there isn't a reason. It's just there sometimes for just a subliminal purpose like again we're we're getting heat on Kiefer Sutherland like look at this guy he's not afraid of anything so by the end of the movie when a kid draws a gun on him he's finally afraid of something i don't know but that's something it's, i kept it's wa- possible i kept wondering yeah, it, that you know they just they just don't they just don't go into it i think the it just, when i think about the brother character it's 
it's just that that's Gordy's first experience with death and the first time that he's he's had to deal with something like that. So I think he feels like he has to go find this other dead body. I think that I, th- I think that that simply is just a driving force for him to want to go and do that and actually see what a dead body looks like as opposed to seeing his brother lowered in a casket. And whether or not Ace had anything to do with it, uh, I, I have I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's an interesting way to look at it. It certainly seems like Ace knows who he was. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he takes the hat and, well, now you're giving it to me. I mean, God, Kiefer is just a prick. He reminds me of my older cousin. Uh, he, he really does, <laughs> just the way he acts in this movie. Right. But um, anyway, anything else you want to add to the movie? Um, I was trying to think if there was anything particular. Um, it, you're like it's you can't separate River Phoenix's death from the movie, and it makes in and watching it again for for this show, you know, thinking about. Man, with the potential. Man, with that kid. Like, what uh, what kind of actor he would have been later on. And it's I mean, under- he is this character. Yeah. Because the character had potential. I mean, you know, he was going to be a lawyer. I mean, you saw, like, I mean, it, the, I mean, when you were, I'm sure in the years of, of watching it, as much as you have, you've read everything there possibly was about it. The kid lost his virginity on the set, and he was only, like, what? Like, he wasn't, wasn't, was what, barely 15? Yeah. And it's like yeah, he's, that kid he's was badass. he was living <laughs> I mean he was he was going as fast as possible and obviously like his death is like is is famous for a variety of things like the Viper Club Depp was there you've got Joaquin Joaquin of course who made the call I think right he's mm-hmm. the one who makes the 911 call I mean I cuz Joaquin's a hell of an actor in his own right sure and I, I can only imagine if River had gotten older I mean have been like what the hardy boys of actors i'm just kidding that's it no 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 that's not bad it's weird because i talk to people sometimes and uh, you know they this is a few years ago and they and you know they know who joaquin phoenix is they love him not only do they not know that who that he has a brother or that he had a brother but they don't know who river phoenix is because uh, river phoenix i mean this is with the exception of last crusade this is probably the most mainstream movie that he did because it seems like uh he had a knack for wanting to do more low budget fare uh he wasn't a superstar, even though he very well could have been. You know, like Mosquito Coast with Harrison or My Own Private Idaho. Um, there's that movie that apparently was his final movie that just got finished last year. Because Yeah, you're you, right. Remember reading about that? Yes, yes. Yeah, and I haven't seen it. It got terrible reviews, but it'd be interesting to see because it's the last thing that he did. Right. You know, I mean, they had to shelve it because of his death. One thing, like, <laughs> this is something you and I can't appreciate because we just weren't old enough, but we were when Heath Ledger died. This was a Heath Ledger-like death at the time because yep. it was like, holy cow. And even to another an extent, to another analogy, like, this is probably one of the closest things to a Kurt Cobain-esque death because I he had that kind of, like... He had a James Dean aura around him. He had this. Maybe he is the face of a next of of this younger generation of actors that are going to be coming up in the '90s. They're going to really be, you know, coming into their own as leading men. You know, like sure. I mean, you nailed it when you said DiCaprio because I, I guarantee you these guys would have been head to head for many roles over the years. Yeah, I think so too. I think they're cut from the same type of cloth. And DiCaprio was, he started coming up within the next couple of years after uh, Stand By Me. 
what with growing pains and basketball diaries and stuff like that. So I wonder if they ever cross paths. I wonder him and Gosling because Gosling's another one that I think of like in that that to, to some extent has that same kind of and it's hard because like the how what can we carve out as the River Phoenix persona? I mean, he was twenty three. When he died, right. like it's so hard to even think, like because was it even close to peaking? Man? Right, like so. I I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of actors who, in my mind, correlate to what River Phoenix would have been, and those are the only two so far. I'm sure there are others you can you it, can really think of, but wow, it definitely it definitely overshadows the movie. Um, it, his his real life death is present in my mind at least from the second the movie starts, and. You know, Chris Chambers died. Oh, River Phoenix died. You know, it's I can't divorce myself from the two because I, I find them to be the same person. Yeah, you know, and it's, you know, I mean, not that I would, not that I would keep it this way. I mean, I, I much prefer him to be alive. I wish he was, but and it 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 adds something to the movie. Yeah, you know, if nothing else, it definitely adds this aura to the movie and the importance of that character to everyone that he talked everyone that he has a relationship with in the movie and what that character itself what he's actually going through as a person just at the age of 12 have you had like since okay you just turned 30 right last year mm-hmm. or the last year right that's right so to kind of all right so i mean you can it could be like is you know even into your like late teens with this so you can pick any any part of this have you had friends die from like your friend circles like when you were younger? Have you had from my them circles? Yeah, like from like whether you were you know pre ten you know or if you were you know from ten to fifteen and then from fifteen to eighteen. Have you had friends from like your circles of friends that have passed? <sighs> no, not anyone that was within. I want to say. Like if I had a group of six friends or something, no, I, I can't say that I have. I have had friends that have died, but no one that I would consider overly close. That's okay. So just even like the, the thing that's so pure about this movie, though, is like when that happens, because I'm, I'm in the same boat you are. Like I thought about it after the movie. I was like, I've, I think I've known two people from uh, like from high school, middle school, elementary school throughout the, the run. We all kind of grew up in Mount Pleasant together that have passed. One I hung out with like in fifth grade. Thought he was a hell of a dude. You know, of course, like going to different middle schools split us apart and things like that. And I remember when he passed, it was like, uh, you know, again, like I am wasn't wasn't super close. So I didn't have like this big emotional moment or anything. But of course, like there was this pause and, you know, it was and I, did the same thing sort of happen with you where you instantly just like in this movie, you kind of go back and you think about you stitch together like kind of like the the times you did hang out. And you're like, wow. Yes. Like, and the mortality all sinks yes. in again. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it definitely does. Um, I had a, I, I mean, me personally, like, I had a friend of mine that died in high school in a car accident, and uh, I went to elementary school with her, and I, I remember she was very closeted. Let's put it that way. She was, she was very just unsure of herself. I even went to her wake because uh, I was like, God, I've known her for seven or eight years, and I remember them announcing it over the intercom while we were at school, I believe it was fourth period in high school. And, uh, I mean, I had to step outside, uh, because I mean, it was, a, it was a, it was a person that I always wanted to get to know more, but she, she was just very to herself and didn't really want to talk to anybody. And, 
I, th- I think about that sometimes. That's the cl- that's the cl- that's the closest I can get. Is that and I don't think Gordy goes through this, but to lose someone that you know that you wish to God that you knew better, and the fact that you're never going to get that opportunity again. Um, that's that is a heartbreaking thing. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and 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 that's not. I don't want to act like it's something that like permanently impacted me, but you know, having to go to the wake and talk to the parents no, and, and it, tell her what a nice girl she was, and it was it was hard. In a way, though, it has affected because you've never forgotten it. Every once no, in a while, like I'm sure when you see this movie, at some point, whether it's the beginning, the middle, the end, or throughout the whole thing, you think about it, and so it has, and that's the brilliant thing, the beautiful thing about is death in the company of life. Where right. it goes right back to that quote. I didn't do it justice at all. I didn't even nail it. But I'm thinking about that quote that you let off with. Like, in the midst of life, we are in death. Yes. Like that's and that's why when you it's said constantly there, it's constantly around us. <laughs> yeah. I've seen this movie now like a grand total, like honestly fr- start to finish twice. I've seen it um, mm-hmm. throughout the years, various pieces of it. Of course, like, you know, if, when you, if you love Star Trek The Next Generation, you couldn't help but see scenes of this movie just because of Will Wheaton. But anyway, what I was going to say is to, to kind of wrap up my thoughts on it is um, you see this movie. This is one of the few movies that you really do see two com- through two completely different prisms. Like you can, if when you're younger and you see it, you definitely see it through the eyes of that group. Like what it's like to hang out with your friends doing stuff like they did. Whether it's hanging out outside or whether it's hanging out inside playing video games, it doesn't matter the time period. Like you can relate to that a hundred percent. And then like you skip ahead ten, fifteen. It doesn't matter. Like I, I'm not gonna say like it has to be when you're married and have children because that's not necessarily applicable. But when you're older and like you've maybe gotten be like a a good five to seven, maybe 10 years beyond high school. Now you start to sort of see things through Richard Dreyfuss's prism as Gordy. You begin to look back on, wow, like you, you you know, you, you look back fondly on memories of hanging out when you were a kid and kind of the innocence of being a kid hanging out, doing stuff like that. And it's great. And then you, you kind of long for it. I haven't, uh, both of us haven't had like necessarily like massive impacting deaths of friends like that that really like, you know, give significant pause over a long period of time. But still, like, you know, uh, I know being a dad now, like, I certainly now, like, I try to see like what, what Wyatt or Liam will see when they get older. Like, this is that they get to look forward to the first part of this movie, which is being Will Wheaton. And then later right. on, maybe they get to be Richard Dreyfus. So that's really neat. That's what's really cool about this movie. That's what makes it, you know, uh, whether it is the best ride. I feel like it's honestly a day of the week kind of question. You ask me the day of the week, it may be a di- uh, it may be a different Rob Reiner movie that I say is the, my favorite. Well, it's this so wasn't hard. even the last time he adapted Stephen King. Right. Uh, you know, doing Misery back in 1990. You know, I want to do one of his horror things. And Jesus, <laughs> he knocked it out of the park with that one. But you're right, Rob Reiner. I mean, it, it's it's just a. I like that you said. You know, granted, it's eight years of solid films, but it's also eight years of films that are completely different. I mean, you've got Spinal Tap, which is the best mockumentary ever made, best movie that features any kind of rock and roll, and then probably the ultimate romantic comedy with When Harry Met Sally, uh, the 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 fairy tale that is beloved by our entire generation. <laughs> Except us for some reason. Oh, we'll just leave it there. Yep, just cut it (laughs) off there and keep moving. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a few good men. You got a great courtroom drama by Aaron Sorkin. I mean, it just 
the sure thing, which you know, getting trying to get the unattainable girl, like so many great little movies, great stories, and and now we just have what we have from the last twenty years. And you keep he's one of those guys, man. He's one of those guys that I just keep hoping gets a fantastic and massive comeback. I thought it was ten years ago, man. I thought it was going to happen with Bucket List, and then they delayed the release until January. Right. And it was, uh, oh, no. Like, th- what's wrong with it? I kind of thought that Charlie <laughs> movie was because I had heard, like, like it was one of those, like, really, like, personal kind of stories for him. One that he was passionate about from just the personal experience that he had gone through in a similar way with his son. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, and even that LBJ, like, I remember seeing it on paper. I'm like, oh, yeah, get ready for awards. They're coming. Just, you know, go ahead and start putting some names down. Because uh, they're getting all of them. Yeah, no, I get, apparently not. Like it's a, it's listed as 2016, and uh, I have nope. I, <laughs> we're rep- reporting from the future. Uh, this movie has not come out yet. Oh, I hate when IMDb does that. Yeah. No, but uh, to, to to wrap it up here, um, I think we've pretty much covered the impact and legacy that this movie's had, at least on us. Uh, it, it's still referenced. It's still talked about. Um, Hell, five years later, uh, another great movie, a movie I love, Boys in the Hood. Uh, there is a scene in that movie that is directly a, tr- um, a tribute to Stand By Me, which I, I just loved uh, when watching that movie. That was a hell of a surprise. Um, yeah, it's when people think of when people talk about coming of age movies, this is usually towards the top of the list, if not at the top of the list, I find. Uh, it was a fairly, I would call this a hit. This was a hit at the oh, box dude, office. Oh, dude, this is huge. Eight, this is pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight eight million dollar budget, fifty five million gross. Like that is incredible. Not just like it, it's already it was already taboo enough. I mean, you got kids in this movie that are smoking and swearing left and right, and it's rated R, and it did that kind of business. It's huge in in, in August. You yeah. know, it was a summer movie. Yeah, Jesus, like this is it's really impressive. Um, if you have a get, rating time, one to ten, what do you give it? I mean, this. I, I mean, I give it a, it's got to be a nine at least, at least. Yeah. I mean, like, and uh, I may not be giving it its full justice with that, but it's easily a nine. It's easily the best movie we've done yet. Uh, I agree. I agree. I give, I've always had, had it this way. I give this movie a 10. This is my first 10 uh, while doing the show. This isn't just a 10 for me. This is in my, this is actually number two in my top five movies of all time. Um, and it, and it, it's probably just because, I mean, as wonderful as the movie is, it's the first movie I ever really remember seeing. So, I mean, I'm sure that plays a, a massive part in it. I absolutely adore this movie. It's a, a movie I watch constantly all the time and I've rebought it on every format since it's come out. It's one of those flicks and I never get tired of it. I just, I never get tired of this thing. And I definitely recommend the, the, Will Wheaton's recent appearance on uh, Talk is Jericho is fantastic when they talk yeah. about this because they talk really? about when they did they did the event or uh, last year when they did the anniversary. Rob like and all the guys were like we need just an empty chair for River. Absolutely. And they and it, and he talked and it's oh like I there's no sense in trying to do justice with it but just to kind of talk about for just a moment. He talks about like what it was like when they first all saw each other because it's a lot like the movie. In a way that's like, we haven't seen each other, a lot of them, like in 10 plus years. Oh, the group. Oh, yeah. yeah. The group as Feldman, a whole. Yeah. Feldman and, and O'Connell, the three of them together. And then Rob, of course, the director. But 
them like just the the boys together growing up now like it was a lot like how in this movie how I hadn't like they talk about how they drifted away for a long period of time. That's true of this movie, even though I know O'Connell and Feldman did a movie in the '90s together. They popped up together in something I forget what, but um, but that's what it was like. And so I I highly recommend it is it is a must listen to uh, just to yeah. hear a lot of the Stand by Me stuff with Will Wheaton on there. Now that's great because um, yeah, the Blu-ray I watched was the 25th anniversary and uh, it had the, the the Rob Reiner commentary on it from i want to say the 15th anniversary but there's a special feature on there that i'm go- i'm gonna look at soon sounds amazing it's rob reiner will wheaton and Corey feldman doing a video commentary so you watch them as they watch the movie and you watch the movie with them and and they're all in a room together so and it's it's nice that every now and then that they they seem to, to want to get back together the only one missing is jerry o'connell but that's understandable he's got rebecca romaine to take care of <clears throat> So, yeah, 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 I mean, <laughs> yeah, can't can't say I blame him. Kush lash, lash. <laughs> oh man, but anyway, so that's Stand by Me. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, uh, so we'll be coming back next time. It'll be the month of September. I believe we've agreed on this movie. We'll, I, I, I believe we're looking at Crocodile Dundee. Is that yeah. what we're doing? Well, when you look at the releases, there aren't a tremendous amount. For September of '86, when you get down to it, and it's far and away one like as goofy it's the as it sounds. Highest movie of the year. It is, and I, and <clears throat> and it's in a way like a fairly significant movie because not a lot of the fish, quote unquote, fish out of water comedies like hit the way Crocodile Dundee did. Movies since have tried to do this and have failed. Right. So it is. It's significant as goofy as it sounds. Crocodile Dundee. Yes. No, it'll be great to revisit that. I haven't seen Crocodile Dundee in probably a decade, and I was obsessed with Crocodile Dundee when I was a kid. So that'll be that'll be fun. It'll be nice to see Linda Kozlowski in her prime. Uh, so we'll be able to look at that. And uh, in the meantime, uh, follow us on Twitter at RealChangePod. In the meantime, I'm Charlie Stabile at CM underscore Stabs. I am William Rinkin at William Rinkin 83. And that will do it for this episode. Join us next next episode covering the month of September, Crocodile Dundee. Thanks for listening.